Welcome to the GameDev.TV Community Podcast. I'm your host, KB, and I would like to introduce you to industry professionals and people who successfully made their path to the video game industry. I hope that you enjoy the podcast and get useful tips that will bring you closer to achieving your dreams. Now, let's get right into the podcast. I'm Sean Gorman. I'm a level designer working at Endreams, but uh, my background um, is also in environment arts. So uh, as well as architectural visualization, uh, I've also worked in virtual reality and working in that way. And then games as an environment artist and then games as a level designer. So I've gone on quite a journey, but it's given me quite a uh, unique perspective uh, as I'm able to understand uh, both both skill sets. Uh, yeah, and so that's where I'm at now and moving forward. So yeah, awesome. thank you for having me, dude. Oh, of course. It was, it was a hard hard to get you on, but once we did, I'm pretty sure it's gonna be amazing. We're gonna have a we conversation. We got there yeah. in the end. <laughs> we did. <laughs> oh, you guys don't even know, guys. It took me forever to get them on, but it's gonna be great. So I'm curious, no, yeah. how did you get started with your game development journey? um how far back like as in like, oh, like playing games as a kid and, yeah oh you know it was a little but yeah i mean we can go back and everyone's got those sort of stories right like from you pick up a controller for the first time and in my case it would probably be oh i mean everyone picks here's the first game i played and they imagine it's like a really really like phenomenal game and they memorable like memorable yeah. experience yeah, and it was game. a brilliant game right usually um <laughs> but i think I think most people are just telling a little fib because they usually play like one game that's just not great. And then they the first game that they enjoyed is the first game they talk about. Mine was a Star Wars game, which you play as Gungans, which is like an RTS. Uh, and so no that way. doesn't age well whatsoever. You're like a no, world no, no. builder. So, but yeah, anyway, that's going back. So actually answer the question is, uh, yeah, <laughs> it would be... I played games all the way through my childhood, from my teens, uh, through school, early days, secondary yeah. school, and then you know you got college. So in the UK, college is something like you know you do that for two years, and then you go to university. So, um, uh, and in college, I actually did fine art, history, and English. I had no idea what I was doing. Let's just let's be real. Uh, and so, rather than follow a lot of people into university because uh, I didn't know what to do, uh, or follow other route into full time employment doing anything um i took up another course in art and design uh and that was like something that i, I felt like i was good at and and i got a lot of good feedback on um so i found myself with a little bit more time to develop and in those i'd say in the three or four months doing that course um that actually didn't do all that much for me but it just allowed me time yeah. to think about it yeah yeah i'd say uh, it was a fine art course so you got a lot of people there who yeah who uh taking pictures of himself in the bath because they want to go to goldsmiths and do fine art because that's art. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> I was instead not doing any of that. I was learning about concept art. I, had, I discovered that year, like a very seminal moment, I discovered that games is a job. Like you can actually do this art stuff for the things that I loved for a living. And I'm like, right, I'm in. And then I, I like started the moment to... of an explosion where you were like, I can have fun and make games and get paid for it. Yes, I remember the artists where I, I saw this for the first time, their names. So from Feng Zhu on YouTube, I remember seeing all of his his library and his now massive library of YouTube videos that he would collate, um, or even uh, Mark Molnar. Um, you also got a lot of the guys over from Naughty Dog because that was around the same time that The Last of Us came out and I, I had mm -hmm. to play, I, I got the chance to play that. It's a um, beautiful game. 
yeah and so i found out from then on that this is a career like people can do this as a yeah as a career and that was a seminal moment for me and then from then on looked into courses uh and just jumped on straight into there and so it, it and it developed and developed and developed but that's the inception that's that's really where the journey began okay and so you're saying talking about concept art so how do we go from concept art to level design or do you just just the learning from all the courses you were like which one do i really like the most big jump eh? yeah um, so my yeah so my whole background would i could condense into just art uh it would be in from an art background it's very it i was i was told then and i think i agree with this now though i haven't really thought about it but i i i, I do it's um it's very hard to teach people to see um so for example like drawing in perspective is very difficult for especially like for young children like what they tend to draw just sort of very two-dimensional images yeah. um and that sort of stuff very hard to do it takes years so if you're doing it at an early age you kind of get a little bit of advantage and then when you get to college and you start doing this uh, sort of stuff and then it translates into three-dimensional work 3d work 3d environment work concept art all this which is really it's for a 3d world you learning the software is not as difficult it is hard but it's very difficult to teach people how to see um and so with that background and with that discipline and with that sort of on, in my back pocket and you heard this when, I, learned, right? like, when you I remember hearing this when i yeah when i was younger like learning from my art teacher years ago yeah and he was it was talking about um at that point it was it was from university it was they were doing they were hiring, not hiring, they were getting applicants from like games tech backgrounds into a games art course and they wanted to be 3D environment artists. And it was, you, he saw there anyway that they they didn't have the art skills, but they had the, the tech skills. And it was, and in his experience teaching for many years, decades even, it was harder to teach them how to, to be artists as a comparison to teaching artists how to use technology. Um, and yeah, and that that example like carried out through even into architecture, which was my first job. Um, I worked as a, a visualization artist for um, the guys that have done like um, visualization for the Shard in London. Uh, very, very oh, wow. like like really? big, sort of big. Yeah, yeah. They work with Make, who um, who did everything for a, well a lot of skyscrapers and towers across London. Um, uh, yeah, so that AVR London, they're a brilliant company, and the same sort of thing was there. Then rather than hiring uh, sort of architects and then teaching them how to use Unreal Engine and that sort of 3D VR technology, they hired people from games and people who worked in in, uh, in that field. Again, same sort of principle. It was easier to to, to teach those people, sort of, I guess, architectural principles, as opposed, yeah, yeah, as opposed to getting the yeah. So it, a little bit like that, but. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but there we go. But, that was my little <laughs> intro, and that was just from university. I was still studying while I was getting my first uh, my first free jobs, I suppose. I was still studying at university. Look at you, dude. Probably, what, like 80 hours a week of work, 40 hours a week of working and 40 hours of studying, something like that? I, I would love to be able to say that that was me, and I did all of that. Uh, no, I took a, I took a, <laughs> this is where they have a little, I took a gap year, would mm. be, so I, and in a working year, I worked during, between my, my uh, second year and my final year, I worked for, for about, yeah, 18 months. Uh, and that experience, by the time then I went back to university, got the degree, graduated, all that experience and the portfolio landed me a job in AAA. 
Look at this. So you must have done something right. <laughs> something. <laughs> something. <laughs> but, uh, let's get to the eye. Saying you like people can see it. What does that mean to you? Because I get what that means, but like, how can someone get to that point? Like, what what is the eye? What is looking at R and be like, hey, that's R and that's bad. It's like, how do you get to that yeah. point? So, so I, I think it's less so it's not for me anyway it's been very difficult to look at fine art this way um it's more about like real world like how we look at everything how we perceive something and uh it's like a language that we all know like you when you look at a, a film for example and like the faces are all free degenerated and they're a little bit off there's the uncanny valley and you don't know why it feels wrong but you know it's wrong and what i mean by that is we all have we all speak this language we all know this visual language but it's being given the um the, i guess the right words to describe it or the right tools to um to be able to manipulate it and do it yourself. So um, it might start, for example, with just drawing in perspective. If you, uh, if, or if me as a child, I would draw and if I drew anything, it was, I'm always thinking about it as just a 2D thing, a 2D shape. And then it was a level of complexity when I needed to add uh, like three dimensional elements to it and a draw in perspective, whether that's two point perspective or three. Um, and you have to then think about where your horizon line is and where you're thinking about like not only that, but if you're creating a cool looking image composition and where uh, a lot of a lot of elements of um, uh, well of, of drawing elements and, and fundamentals you're, you're learning as you go. And so I learned all the I learned a lot of that through school, through college. Um, yeah, and I had some great tutors um, who taught me all of those things. But that yeah, that comes with time. And I think of course that time which was school and college i'm sure you could condense that into a lot smaller a time if it was really focused but it comes with a lot of practice and just being given uh hmm yeah yeah a lot of practice and i'm really not sure where else actually i really have to think about it a little more but it's difficult oh yeah but because it'd be like somebody let's say they're starting out now i don't know give an age around like 30 40 and they wanted to do get develop the eye it's like how do you get that do you just draw from other artists and try to like continue to draw that stuff or do you try to do your own thing with learning like different from like I, there's so many things to it i, I wonder mm. how you could improve that i probably recommend a couple things what i'd started i remember uh, way back when i had a tutor and he was a photographer um and he said something about uh there was two ways you could teach people what well, this i think even his tutor was two ways he had about teaching you have a, you tell the whole class to take a hundred photos uh, and you just take as many as you can. You capture absolutely everything. Um, or you tell you know, other members of the class to spend all of that time, you know, all of the time it would take to get a hundred photos, all of that time you spend to make one photograph, take one photograph and you're really forced to think. Um, and so if it's just thinking about a two dimensional image, you're thinking, why do I pick that one image? Why? What's significant about what I'm looking at? Um, and that's just, yeah, that's composition. So I, if, if you to play that little experiment forward, you're then thinking, I need to have something that's meaningful. Well, how do I get something that's meaningful out of an image? Hmm. All right, cool. Well, I need to then bring focus to something because this is maybe it's maybe it has a, an actual object or a person that you want to photograph. Yeah, stuff like that. And, and that's one early exercise that I remember. Um, but otherwise, also for drawing, um, I remember years ago, yeah, reading, 
reading articles, looking at um, it was like Gumroad tutorials I had from uh, very prominent artists who, who had made quite a lot of good stuff. Um, and they were explaining all of their processes, but they were explaining their thought patterns too, which was just a lot, a lot more, um, uh, well, it, it, although it was very, what's it called? So they were soft skills that they could be transferable. And all of those skills have helped me yeah, because I'm not a concept artist, but they help those skills taught by a concept artist help me get into environment art. And then those skills I learned in environment art and also from those concept artists have certainly helped me in my position as a level designer. It's just thinking, um, yeah, it's transferable skills would be the word so I'd use. Uh, well, but I'd start, some, I'd start there. What are some things you are thinking about when you're drawing? Because honestly, when I draw, it's like, I just want to create the best thing that I could draw. But like, that's only because I'm not an artist. But... <laughs> Like, what do you think? Yeah, uh, so you're trying to create like a meaningful image. If it's going to be a, a, a like like the shot you've got on your background, right? Um, yeah, you've, <laughs> yeah, you've got uh, foreground elements which constrain and frame your view. You've got midground elements which still lean into your backdrop. But you have a sense of perspective. You have a sense also because of direction. Uh, I think you're going to, in that image, be leaning, everyone's now looking at your face. Uh, <laughs> like, you've got a him. sense of direction for the road too, right? That leans behind you. So you think, okay, where does that lead? And it, it gives you uh, some, well, not an emotion, but a thought. You're thinking path. Actually, if we see a path, me and you, we understand that it must lead somewhere. Where does this lead? Um, yeah, and then also a negative space and positive space. We've got a lot of negative space here. So you've got the sky that also helps to then bring your eye back towards that path. The lighting and sort of that sunbeam bringing you in that direction. Yeah, all of these things, so all the visual elements that should just pull you into, mm -hmm. in this case, that one image, but where it then evolves from concept art or 2D, two-dimensional images, which would be, composition like is an image composition where then you move into 3d and you move into games is where it goes into spatial composition and so this is a cool a cool image as well what does this play like when i turn around what's behind me what can i see if i go follow that path and you're thinking about how all of those tie together so yeah and that's what i mean about soft skills i'm creating a couple of these little views when i when i'm making uh, the stuff in in uh, the games that i make uh, and then i'm placing little details, little subtle elements that should lead or guide the player or give some sort of intentionality. And so when you think of all that, this is like right before you do anything, you're seeing a white blank space, you're like, okay, I'm going to create something that's going to, you basically just come up with the idea first. I'm going to make a type of city with a road and then you just build from there. I guess it would be, what am I, what am I trying to communicate? So, okay. Uh, and that's this. This would apply really to uh, in in career as well, working in studio. So, as a level designer, we are trying to communicate um, a. It could so we've got we've got metrics, we've got gameplay mechanics, um, and you've also got like a sort of look and feel. You know, in a certain level, let's give an example. Let's say in The Last of Us, it's my favorite game, uh, mm -hmm. which it's difficult for me to say because I have a lot of favorites, but. Um, we can talk There's about a, that too. <laughs> absolutely. There's a, let's pick the, uh, let's pick the level. Like there's a level, uh, we'll say inside of. Oh, you hmm. can, we can go. So there's the. Um, anyone, give me anyone. There's a scene where um, Ellie and 
Joel get mad at each other. Well, Joel's basically like, you don't ever bring like Sarah up and like, you're not my daughter. You know that one scene? In the farmhouse, right? Yeah. Cool. So on your journey there, on the journey, and so uh, I've, I have not worked at Naughty Dog. I've just played this game. About, I've played about like 200 hours of this game, by the way. Oh, wow. uh, <laughs> um, no joke. And It's that, that good though. It's that good. I get it. Yeah. It's very good. And that farmhouse. So all the journey on the way there, there's a, absolutely, there must have been a conversation between um, the people who wrote the sort of script for this and the people who made all of the mechanics to get you there and all of the artists that worked on the stuff that there's absolutely a communication. What mood are we trying to convey? And when you are following the tracks, the trail of that horse, you're constantly looking to the floor, but everything else around the scene is kind of guiding you. And sometimes they're tricking you as well. You might find you go one direction and then you have to double back because you realize you've just hit a fence and, oh, well, actually, no, the tracks do lead that way. I was going and it course corrects and you feel like you're going through a journey. Mm. And that is tied in with environmental storytelling. That is signposting, that's lighting, that's everything. And this is the job of the level designer is to make sure all of those things marry perfectly to tell and convey uh, the right emotions, tell the story. And so by the time you get there, after having your traversal through the, the mountains and having time to breathe between encounters, because I remember there is an encounter uh, between um, when you first leave your brother's like encampment and when you find Ellie. Um, and then as soon as that cutscene ends, we remember that after that very kind of like jaw dropping moment and like, you're holding your breath as you're watching them essentially argue, then a fight comes along and you're tired and you're like, you're frustrated, but oh my God, and your hair goes up. You're, you're thinking, right, I have, we have to get out of here, but you're still quite down. And all of these things, all emotions, they have to then carry through the level. And these are important. And you can do these um, in a number of ways. It could be just how you compose the space, how you assemble your space with all the shapes that you choose um, uh, and what you're forced to do, what actions you're performing more particularly. Um, is it mundane tasks? Is it like an actual hard to do activity? Um, like a combat is sometimes is something that requires skill, that requires, um, requires you to think. Yeah. Um, yeah, and all of these things. So. Um, yeah, wow. so that would be one example. So essentially, being any creative person, like an artist, right, is you have to literally sit there and plan everything out. It isn't like this. Like I, th I guess there's a misconception where people think it's just like I sit down there and I draw something amazing. And sure, that can happen occasionally, but like to really create something that's kind of visual story and it's something that you find meaningful, you got to literally have the time to plan it out. Think yeah, about it, and then you go do it. That's key. If you don't yeah. have that time as well, you're kind of doing things on the fly. And it's like, it's like, right, if, if George R. R. Martin wanted to write Game of Thrones, but he had 20 minutes to do it, I'm sure all of those little links wouldn't, wouldn't find themselves there so well. If you had yeah. to write the whole thing from beginning to end, you wouldn't get that moment where you go, oh, wow, I didn't know those two things were linked. I didn't know those characters. I mean, if, if you've not read or understand Game of Thrones, you would understand what I mean. It's just hard to do. And that these things take a long time to plan and to really plan so precisely. But it's not that we also have a lot of, con we, we have complete control in, uh, in all aspects. We are just trying to learn what others want to do and try to communicate that ourselves. We might have some input, but we are not like kings of every castle. We don't tell artists 
throughout like the whole art department from top to t from tippity top to bottom here's what i want in my level we're asking them as well like what else can we do is there an art style we need to match um and we need to think about that when we're making our blockouts and then we're also trying to learn from the people making the mechanics in the game how can we best utilize your mechanics um and yeah there's usually sometimes there's a back and forth you might find that there are little spots empty here there gaps in the process and we're just trying our best to like patch those up get everyone to talk communicate so that everyone's on the same page and we can all uh make an experience um that is satisfying for the player and that, yeah marries all of these departments together properly and that i think is is something i'm able to do and i i, I yeah I, I feel i'm able to do quite well is that because I've had that environment art background and now working in the design department uh, I know what what it's like on the other side of the fence you know where the grass is greener or whatever it, I can I can see some of the problems uh, on uh, that one individual might have as an artist uh, or as a designer and try my best with with my experience to then um, yeah just help where I can and that could just be conversation or it could actually be like problem solving it depends on uh, what we're doing in, in what game and what project but yeah it's important that essentially level designers um uh are responsible for their work um I like that. and uh, and yeah and do their best to be i'd say peacekeepers as well mm -hmm. i'm curious did you did you have a moment where you were doing some of the stuff let's say you got the architecture job do you feel like you weren't going in the right direction that you wanted to go and now looking back, you're like, oh, everything was just connecting the dots to lead me to here. But like during the moment, did you feel like, hey, I'm not, I'm not doing games. I'm not really where I want to be. Did you ever feel like you were stuck or going the wrong way? I think so. Yeah, a couple of times maybe. I was I I worked in so AVR London for architectural visualization. I really loved that job. That was that was really fun. Um, the people there were great. Um, you know, I've, I've worked at a couple of places and I've been quite lucky, actually, that I've not um, I've not met barely anyone that I, I, I disagree with or have had a problem work. Everyone I've met has been rather lovely. So that's been I'm very, very lucky there in that regard. And so that was one example. It was just perfect. The studio was fantastic. The people I work with were great. Uh, but the actual industry, you know, I wasn't married to. I, I wasn't uh, you know, buildings are cool, I guess. You know, it's it's OK. <laughs> um but you know I, I i studied games i wanted to make games and so i felt like that was a stepping stone I, and i learned a tremendous amount like from the the people i worked with there uh yeah so that was one one mark yeah, a remarkable moment i could say that I, I needed to then make a change and then i course corrected uh, I, even though after that i did go to munich I, I worked for bmw and i did cars and all this malarkey for a couple of months before then going yeah i want to actually jump into games again while i've got this opportunity and uh something popped up i took uh took the ball by the horns and jumped straight in and worked for um uh bulkhead interactive in derby uh, as an environment artist there so um and yeah, that felt like, you know, like a Goldilocks thing. It felt like, you know what, the other one, it just something was, it was something wasn't right. But then, oh, okay, now this one seems better. But then you quickly find that, oh, so there's also something else missing, or maybe something I'd like to try over there. And I still felt like I was quite early in my career, and I, I did. I went back to university, thought I want to learn a little bit more while I've got the opportunity. And then when I applied for jobs and said that I was open for work. Um, the Rocksteady thing popped up 
And then again, to come back to your question, I felt like in the, so from now, like where we are now, um, December 2020, uh, from about maybe a year to a year and a half ago, because um, I, I was at Rocksteady for about two and a half years, um, I felt like I'd done everything. Like I achieved all everything I wanted to do. I I'd got my dream job working as an, as an environment artist for one of the best companies uh, on the planet uh, in, in, in video games. And um, yeah, but there was just something not right. And I wasn't sure whether or not it was, if it was the studio, oh no, or if it was like the, oh, the project, oh no. I was actually looking at me and I was going, what's wrong with me? Is Am I doing something wrong? And looking introspectively. And it took a lot of thinking, a lot of, um, uh, a lot of introspection to, you know, go, well, I, this is a good job that I really did enjoy this here, but I'm ready for a new challenge. And I was starting to then learn a lot more, um, working very closely with designers, um, as, and working with good designers, as I tried to illustrate in the, the last question, good designers that try to incorporate everyone. I was feeling very included working with those designers, but because I saw more of their work, I grew more and more interested. And then I would go home and I would make not environment art, like bespoke portfolio work, like assets and all that, like my colleagues and my friends, I would go back and uh, make levels and experiment in blueprints uh, inside of UE4. Uh, and that's where I think, yeah, then at that point it was a snowball effect. Things then started to get rolling and I was like, yeah, I. I like my job, but I, I think I, I want to do something else. And that's where I, I, I made the jump into design. Okay. And so these moments you've had are like, for instance, going back to school, was that an easy moment to go back or did you have to take some time and be like, Hey, I want to go back to school or. Ooh, well, my, um, so my employer was very respectful of that, which was fantastic. So I was, so to clearly have the context, I was in second year. Um, I then, moved into full-time employment. I was basically paused my education for a year. Um, and then I did two internships in that like 12 months. Um, and then I thought, I actually want to continue doing this. And so my university agreed that he would spend his final year. And some universities do this here in England where they agree, okay, he can fulfill his, um, his, you know, his last year, all of the qualifications that he needs, all the assessments, everything he could do that while in employment. They just send back the work that he's doing. They, we ask them, is he doing a good job, essentially? And they tick a box. Uh, I mean, if they, if he wasn't doing a good job, they would just get rid of him, right? So, I mean, they'll get yeah. rid of me. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but that, and so we did all that. Everything was ticked. Fantastic. Sean's going to stay. Uh, and that'll be, that'll be that. And I think at that point, Ryan needed to make that decision. Do I want to stay here for another year at, at that work and continue working on those projects and doing that job? Um, or do I feel like I've got this one opportunity now while I'm young, I mean, reasonably young, I was like 23, um, to uh, go study and pick like a really fine point about like environment art or whatever it was and learn it, like really learn it because I wouldn't have as much time to do that while working full time. I mean, yes, I'm doing environment art, but uh, I'm usually... A, most people working for someone else find themselves in this situation. You're doing someone else's work and you're, you're given that work. You're asked, do you want to do this? Can you do this? And then you go, yeah, sure. But sometimes it's not your choice. Uh, and sometimes you would, you don't have that availability because of the project demands, you know? So we were working on a first person shooter. Uh, I was doing a lot of like 
assets. I was doing like foliage, creating all that sort of stuff. I was also doing like HUD elements. I was doing lighting and, and uh, sky spheres. But I wanted to try some like hard surface like modeling and try to really understand new processes. Um, and, you know, I, it's very hard to do all of this and learn all of this while in full time work outside of that, you know, go home after however many hours in a day, find the energy then to work outside of work. It's hard. So, no, yeah. I took it upon myself like, into, yeah, sorry, please. Oh, you use like friends and family. You just get so busy. Yeah. To the point where you're like, I don't time do anything but just work and study, work and study, which is fine. But like for people mentally that just starts to drain them over time, you're like, where's my friends? Where's the free time that I had? Like, I feel like I'm always working. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I felt like I'd done that at university and and paid the consequences for it as well, you know, like uh, and so I, I learned there's almost the hard way you got to work smart uh you know not work hard uh, and so that was one decision i then made it was very yeah it was hard i remember sitting down in a cafe with my boss going you know what i really do appreciate it and i feel to this day like i absolutely really do appreciate the opportunity i was given but i, I i've got this one shot now while i can while i'm young and while i've got the opportunity still here to go back to study again i want to take this opportunity here and um yeah and learn what i can so yeah in that time then i did go back and I did study and put in some long hours because I really wanted to make the most out of it. Um, and yeah, and I learned and developed so quickly. Um, yeah, and so that that changed my life making that decision. So it, it did pay off in the end, but I, I won't lie, it, 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 I did think at one point, oh, this might actually bite you in the bum. Mm -hmm. uh, when you, you essentially, mm, yeah, I, don't, I think there was a point I did. Imagine there's a point where essentially you leave full-time work doing the job that you enjoy and, and then you leave thinking, you know, maybe I've got more time to develop. They're like, whoa, 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 you've, but you've got the job. Like you've got, you've got the job. You don't need to continue studying for the, the job you already have. Right. You know, that's kind of the feeling you'll have in your head yeah. or the thinking, sorry. Um, and that's completely true. And so you would imagine like where I was then, how many, maybe three years ago now, I'm starting to then put out the applications and start sending job applications out and they're nothing silence for a little while. And I'm still working on the portfolio. It's still going, but I've not got nothing to show yet. And, but people are getting into those jobs. I remember, you know, colleagues, friends, and they're finding work and I'm not, and it's not paying out. And I, I remember actually, yeah, there was a big, um, a big position, like one I was really infused about. I was like, this is it. Uh, and I got all the way through to the final interviews and, and for anyone who goes through that process and then uh, gets turned down, oh God, it's heart wrenching. And I think that would be the point I did give up. And then, uh, yeah, then something just came out of the blue and it's just, it's really strange how, uh, how fate is or whatever it is, but yeah, how these things happen. Uh, and then another opportunity that, like school or person or like, like what? Well, so the opportunity that I was talking about that I was turned down from was for like a big company that I really, really respected. I loved a, a certain property. Yeah. And so I was like really infused about working on that. Um, and yeah, it was just, there's a, like, you get thousands of applicants for, for these things and mm -hmm. yeah, I, and they picked someone else and rightly so, okay. uh, in that case, uh, a very talented guy. I'm avoiding names almost, uh, oh, yeah, that's uh, fine. But, uh, but then with the next thing, so after that, I think it was even a week apart, um, a friend of mine reached out to me, having then seen all of my work where it was then published. 
it was like a, I wasn't showing, I, I hadn't finished my work when I was doing a lot of these interviews. When it was finally out and I got a lot of eyes on it, uh, he, reached out, he reached out to me um, and he recommended me for the job at Rocksteady. Uh, so that's Ben Keeling, um, who is, um, I wanted to say senior, but I think he's an even advanced um, environment artist at Rocksteady, a very talented guy. Um, and yeah, he recommended for me for the job, uh, two interviews, and then, uh, yeah, we were in there. Uh, yeah, and so he saw something in me, uh, and he saw something in my work. We had we had had correspondence for a while, um, but yeah, that was that was at, if, just before that moment. I was certainly certainly feeling like I've made a wrong decision here. You know, <laughs> that's uh, a horrible moment to feel. Like you're like I've worked so hard, I spent all this money, and maybe this is the wrong thing. But it's also the healthy thing. It helps you move to somewhere better. Because if you just sit there and say, oh, no, I'll brush it off. It's fine. I'm going to have a great job. But it's like deep down, this thing's going to grow. And maybe mm. five, ten years from now, you would have been in a horrible situation because you didn't leave and try something new. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. to that, yeah. Yeah, and I think that also started because um, someone I'd worked with, uh, had, all, and he was a little older than me, like a couple of years older than me, um, and like we grew quite close like working together uh and you know like you when you're working and sometimes you have like a couple of gaming sessions in the evening and he would share with me if i had the opportunity to go back if i had the time essentially to go back to study because essentially what you're paying for when you pay for a university course and all that you're paying for time let's be clear sometimes the tutelage isn't right but you're paying for time um and he was like if i had that opportunity i'd take it because i would love to be able to learn xyz and I was thinking to myself, you know what, has he got some, is he right there? And then that, yeah, that's got uh, all of those gears turning. And I thought to myself, yeah, maybe I want to do that while I have this opportunity. Once you're in full-time employment and you're out of university, it's very hard to do that. Uh, well, if you wanted to spend 12 months of your life just learning a certain piece of software or a certain skill, I mean, some people just can't afford it. I couldn't afford it. Um, you know, back then at all. Uh, and even now, no, I probably couldn't. It's just difficult. So uh, it was a, a unique time, but I feel like I made the right decision. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious about when you say there's not enough, like, time, are you saying, like, not enough focus time to really learn what you need to learn? Like, let's say if you put an hour every night after work, could you still try to learn what you learned in the university? Or is just the university you try to learn so much that you Yes, you can learn, maybe learn a skill, but you can't learn everything they would teach university in like one to two hours a night for like the rest of the year. Let's say um, I don't think there are processes that we use inside of our industry mm -hmm. that you could probably teach or learn within a short span of time if mm -hmm. you're quite new to it. Yeah. Uh, I have experience inside of Freedus Max, ZBrush, modeling packages, Unreal Engine, other editors. Um, all of that but if i wanted to learn houdini which to me feels like a very different automated procedural package there are similarities with some software that i've used but it feels like a very different animal and it will require i just know right, it will require energy uh, for me to to learn it. Uh, it it's very different for me just to turn on the tv and just listen and like you know pay no mind to really what i'm seeing and, and in a part relax as a comparison to just turn on a youtube video or a course and watch and really pay attention to it and learn it. It requires energy. And so when you've ex expelled so much energy through the day working full time, whether that's in retail, whether that's in games, whatever it is, it is hard to find that motivation uh, to come back home and study. Mm -hmm. um, so what I did, and I would recommend this is, uh, um, 
and this is something that I, I learned from a, a friend years ago, that motivation is fleeting and that discipline is really helpful if you're able to teach teach yourself. Um, so like a, essentially a way of working that is uh, has long-term benefit. So for example, motivate, so you, you're, I, have you heard of this before? Yes, yeah, actually I, I love this because there's also another one called discipline equals freedom. So if you're disciplined with things, so even if you don't want to do it, like let's say you want to see, you want money, you save money when you should have been like, oh, but I can go for a drink. You say no, or you 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 just discipline in a lot of things. It allows you the freedom to do what you really want. You discipline your money, you can go where you want. You discipline your health, you're healthy, you don't have to worry about your health problems. You discipline with your work, you means you're studying. You will then be able, to, you'll know your stuff, you ace that test, you do a good job in your uh, project, your deadline, and things will work out for you. But it's it's about discipline, meaning you have to stop. Motivation can help you build systems and stuff. Motivation, like you said, is fleeting. But discipline is forever. <laughs> mm. yeah. And you can and you can stumble on this too, right? Like with the motivation thing, uh, yeah, you might watch a cool video, a cool film, and you go, I want to make something based on what I just saw because I feel inspired. I feel motivated. And I feel like I could continue doing this with this feeling I have right now forever. And the yeah. truth is that's not true. Uh, that it will it will sizzle out. And you something might happen to you, whether that's in your personal life or whatever, that really changes you and you're you feel lower morale drops mm -hmm. uh, and then that is where uh motivation suffers it is short term it's fleeting and then yeah as you say discipline if you're able to teach yourself um a, like a productive way of working and it doesn't necessarily mean uh even just the way of working but uh, i want to say force yourself to work but it's not even that it's, it's as i say earlier always it's working smart like yeah. as opposed to working hard choosing a certain time in your week where you will work and then trying your best to stick to it but then giving yourself a reward when you do and so it's encouragement and it's and you're doing that yourself mm -hmm. i've even done even this most smallest example while i'm working remotely because i i can essentially just roll out of bed into the other room mm -hmm. and that's work so what i found is because while we we're all working remotely during a global pandemic is i spend a lot of time on my phone in the morning um, and like usually about 40 minutes now that's not great what am i doing i'm just doing this i'm just scrolling true, yeah, and i'm wasting 45 minutes of my day oh yeah i might send a message to a friend and that's cool however i have to change i noticed that that's time i'm losing and i'm really not getting any significant thing out of that so if i discipline myself not like i hit myself what i did is i just went this phone at night i throw it out of the room and i oh, close I the door a Twitter post about that. <laughs> and so I the alarm one day, I was like, I like that advice. So I threw my phone out. The, <laughs> the alarm would Helps. go off in the morning. And so I hear it, but I, in the mornings where it was next to me, I just reach out of bed, turn off the alarm. And that's that. And then the alarm goes off in 10 minutes and then that continues and continues. But now if it's outside of the room, I have to get out of bed. I have to walk towards the door. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I'm halfway there to the shower. Let's start the day. And that exactly. really helps. And that's discipline. That, that's what I mean. It's just re it's trying your best to 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 put yourself in a work mode uh, and and giving yourself that time where you need it if you feel that you need it. So I certainly felt like I needed those forty five minutes in the morning. I wanted to do more work in the morning. I didn't want to start later in the day. And that has yeah, it changes my day. I can finish earlier. I can finish my work on yeah. time earlier. Um, I get more out of my evenings with my partner uh, and yeah, it has a net benefit. And that's just one example of discipline. But I could list you uh, quite a lot, which really uh, helped, especially in a uh, university. Mm -hmm. 
So now you found that through motivation or like books or anything that specific that you like can say that like, hey, that's what that showed me discipline. Or was it just working on stuff and you're like, I don't know, 45 minutes. No problem. I'd say it was a friend years ago who mm -hmm. I, it was, you know, you look up to someone and they, they seem like they've got everything switched on. And I mean, yeah. sometimes comparing yourself to others is not beneficial. Uh, if you find that, you know, you're not in a good place and you're just comparing yourself to others as opposed to comparing yourself now uh to where you were before like you know if you look how far you've come usually you'll find that you've done quite you've progressed quite far but there in that case it was a good example i see he's leading a positive example doing things that i'm not doing or i'm failing to do maybe i could uh, learn a, th a, th a thing or two so i spoke to him and he showed me a few things from uh, a bullet journal uh, you know where he essentially logs to do work inside of a like a physical notepad um and he would then tick those things off he has like essentially a calendar inside of that as well. So I implore anyone who's listening to check out uh, any kind of video. Uh, it's called Bullet Journal. Um, uh, and yeah, that really helped. And, and yeah, I started to follow his example uh, or even a lifestyle I try that someone else gets up in the morning, they go to the gym and I just gave it a go, see if I could try that. And, that, and me personally, I gave it a go. I, I gave it a go then, but I can't do that now. I just, it's not for me. So at least I tried and I noticed what's good for me and what's good for him. But uh, yeah, that helped and that example helped because I could then I could then process my day better. And I became, uh, I was able to work optimally. Um, and if it, for me, putting it on paper and then seeing it as a task that I need to do rather than in my brain, think, remind myself every other 30 minutes, by the way, have you done this thing? Because I will forget. Uh, it's something that I can then see, I can refer to, and I can tick off, and I feel good when I have done that. So it's all positive. Did this take a long time for you to develop, or was it like in a week or a month, or it was like finally after a couple of years, you're like, this is it, this is the system, works perfectly for me. <laughs> I will fail, and I have failed constantly. And it's just about keeping those um, those principles. like like. Um, like as a kid, maybe, you know, like a very young kid, like a toddler, and then they like hit another kid and then they're told, hey, don't do that. And then they might a second time do it and they're reminded again, hey, you're not supposed to do that. And then it's just practice. It's going, yeah, no, I shouldn't be doing this. And, and noticing those same trends, even as an adult, of course, right? I'm getting up out of bed too late in my day. I'm doing this constantly. Is this costing me something? Yes. Can you change those things? And then noticing small little wins. So little things throughout the day. Could you could you just do this in a better way? Could you do this and would this make your life easier? Yes. Why aren't you doing that? Hmm. And yeah, and I will fail at those things. Like uh, maybe two days ago, uh, I got out of bed. I picked up the phone and then I went back to bed. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I know that I've not, I've not followed through and I feel guilty. And so okay. tomorrow, to get on. Yeah. do you, do you have a system that where you don't get guilty? Cause actually I've gone to the point in the last couple months, right? Even if I fail at something, I've stopped making myself feel super guilty. Cause if I feel super guilty, then I get upset at myself and I'm not doing anything cause I'm so, and that's not productive at all too. So like, do you feel like you just, you know, you're now guilty about it and you move forward or you're guilty about it and it destroys you? Like, how do you handle guilt? How about that? Like, um, like, uh, so to the example you just gave, I'll, I'll try another one. And, and then you tell me whether or not this is parallel. Uh, I came up with a calendar and then 
uh, if I worked a certain number of hours that day, this is when I was a student, uh, if I worked a certain number of hours a day, that's a tick on that day. And if I get a number of ticks, so if I get seven ticks, for example, I can give myself a reward. Like I could go and get like a, I think it was back then, I would get like a, a chocolate bar or like a, or a cake yeah. or something. Actually, you I really got like, yeah, yeah, I mean, as when you're a student and you've got like no money, that's like a big deal. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, even now, if like a cake, I've had a cake in ages. Um, the cake you make, you go buy the cake. I would buy the cake. I can't bake, um, oh, sadly. <laughs> but that's a reward. Now, what happens is if I get to then say day fourteen or tick fourteen, um, uh, no, or day fourteen, and I don't do that work, what I the, one of those rules that I'd set was I have to go back to zero and then I have to start again. And that's the discipline thing. And it, it it's, it's not, uh, it's not easy. And sometimes I would just bail out on the process altogether when I went straight back to square one and then probably be a week where it's like, ah, you know, I, I failed, I failed one day and now I can't get any reward for seven days. So I'm not going to do it at all. And that was tough. Mm -hmm. So I think you just got to, does that sound similar? Like a similar sort of example, like where that's you just so lose yeah, exactly. motivation really. Basically, isn't like you. The system was supposed to make you successful, but now it's also making you not at the same time. Mm. And we need to somehow fix that. Yeah, so that's exactly what it meant. So change the system, and I mean, like, not like the. Uh, so we can't change like our environment, for example. But notice what things you can control, and start to make changes there. Uh, and I learned that especially working in sales years ago is let's try to block out the things you can't control. Can you control uh, your? Um, your government no can you control the weather no can you control how other people like you know think about you no not really so what can you control okay mm -hmm. i can control what uh, what i spend my money on in the day because yeah. that's my money uh, or i can control what time I, I get out of bed in the morning and then seeing and identifying what things you can control and then changing them and so or or just um a little small win. So there, for example, in the, what we just mentioned, where I just bail out the process altogether and uh, I've now got some sort of process that I've put in place that doesn't work for me and it feels more authoritarian than it does helping me. Um, I would then just rewrite that system. I go, right, okay, so I need to then maybe try something else or or just give myself a little bit, um, a little bit of a push in some way. So I would probably, uh, back then, I just changed it a little bit. Um, you know, if rather than starting complete from scratch, you just lose 60 ticks. Maybe you just lose a one or two and you're like, oh, that's not so bad. But uh, it is hard to bring you, you know, to pick yourself up again. And um, ultimately boil it down to uh, recognize that if you're down, you're down and know what can pick you back up again. So if I was feeling bad, feeling sad, angry, frustrated, I recognize that I'm not in a good place, stop working, and then recognize that I need to do something or speak to someone. And in my case, it was speak to my partner. Um, and yeah, and that will pick me up. Okay, I, and yeah, she's got that. Um, yeah, got that over me where she could just sort of cheer me up. So that's very good. I'm very lucky. But other and but before I met her as well, I recognized that it was playing an hour of a video game or looking through an art book. And, though, and then I felt like, you know what, I can do it. And then when you get to that point, you know what, you can do it. Write out what goals you've got. If you're, um, if you feel like you're not somewhere you are, write out that goal and then just look at it and go, I can do that. And just tell yourself you can, because you can. And then work bit by bit to, to get closer to that goal. 
And that goal could be at the end of the day, could be at the end of the month. But just think about second to second, minute to minute, hour to hour, week by week, month by month, year by year. And if you think of the, like how long we spend on those doing those things a day, that accumulates how many hours we're doing that a week. So, for example, how much work that I put in uh, after work, you know, it might just be an hour, but if I or 30 minutes, but if I did that every day, 30 minutes every day for every, you know, every day of the week, that's a couple of hours. I did that a couple of couple of weeks in the month. This is, that adds up. It's almost a day. And then you do that all year. I mean, you're, you're doing yeah, you're quite a lot races. of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and that's only a couple like minutes. Yeah. yeah, that's right. But then you can look back, see where you've come, see what you've able to do, see what you're able to achieve, and there it feels good. So beautiful. Your your partner is in the game industry, right? Yes. So uh, yeah, she is a narrative designer. Yeah. You think the conversation you had would have been the same with she was in game industry or not in the game industry, or does it not matter? Hmm. Well, she's a wonderful person. So I think like whether or not uh, she was or wasn't, yeah, she's, she's um, very supportive. So uh, certainly whether she was working in the street or not, she, she was, she was always supportive and it will always be supportive. But, uh, but yeah, it helps that you've got a, not only a sympathetic ear, but someone who understands, um, you know, your understands, understands your plight. If should we say, if, if there is ever any, any trouble, whether it is in work or you're not in work, you know, like in the university when we was looking for jobs. She understands. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that did help. Okay. And then how, is import- how important is networking to you and, like, for anyone else? Is it something that's been a huge impact in your life or is it just something that's like, yeah, you should do it, but didn't really make life-changing for me? I would say critical. I, mm-hmm. At university, um, even starting as early as you can to just, just get some of those processes in place if you can. So... Starting into like first year, if you've got like a three-year course, if you're a university student um, and you're just getting into first year, yes, you're thinking about your work and you want to concentrate on the work you're doing, but you do need to pay some, I would I would stress, you need to pay some attention to establishing a network. And if it's at university with university students, that network firstly starts with the people around you. Um, those people who like your, you know, like whoever, like that person, that example, they will find themselves into the job. Their friends will. So that's your immediate network. Immediate network could also be your family and your friends, right? But that needs to grow um, if you want, like, to to see more doors open for you and to be able to, you know, find more opportunities. Um, so trying your best to be active on uh you know on on social media like where these things are useful for example an environment artist has a lot of resources out there for art station for example um you know the the blocktober for level designers where people are encouraged to do work and share it with others and they get feedback from people encouragement and it feels like that's positive because that is that's networking really even if it's just sharing your work um as also uh, also going to and i mean this is hard during global pandemic again we're going to events uh, i went to a number of events up and down the country while i was studying um and it was because i i love games uh and i'll always love games and i wanted to see what sort of games are out there and i'd get to play them but then also because i got to meet the developers of those games and i learned from them how was it like doing this process i'm curious and then you would just talk to them and then maybe you just have a nice conversation with them and firstly you make a good friend and that's fantastic you make strangers and turn them into friends what a lovely world and the second is also if you need anything and and 
you're connected in the same network. Uh, if you needed something, they needed something, you can help one another because that's that's what the network there, a positive network anyway, is there, there is for. So I'm very lucky. I've got um, I've got friends who've, who've been able to support me when, I, when times are rough um, and uh, give me feedback as well. I've got a network that uh, give me feedback on my work when I'm trying to improve. Um, and yeah, I feel like that's very healthy. Uh, and, and I do the same, of course, with them whenever they need me or if I, they were asked my advice, uh, then we'll talk honestly and we can share that back and forth. So networking is really important, especially if you're in a learning environment and doing it as early as you can, because it's not only, okay, speaking to this person will get me a job. It's not just that, it's this one, this person will help me learn how to be a better person and how to then eventually get that job. And exactly. that's just one part of it. Mm -hmm. No, all the people people I've met doing this podcast, I've learned so much from everyone, from mm. battling with mental, you know, challenges, tribulations, with learning how new ways to think or, or new ways to like study, or just a lot of different things you get from a lot of variety of people, and it's like, wow, I actually understand the world better, people better than this thing I'm learning better, like programming, mm. you learn different skills stuff. So it's it's very important. I think networking is one of the most important things you can do, especially as a creative person. Like, so yeah. it's fine to get your job and you know, stuff, but to really learn how each creative person does their own thing helps you improve yourself and be better and try new things and be more experimental. So, yeah. yeah, it helps you learn as well how to communicate, mm -hmm. uh, you know, socializing properly. And we have to work in a team. We have to work in a team sometimes with large teams with a large number of people and different personalities. And if you're not exposed to, to that, you know, like uh, meeting people who think more about tools and things uh, like programmers are very deep in uh, in knowledge and in the computers looking at uh, numbers scripts and so on uh, they might think differently to someone who is like a, who thinks in a different way like an artist who thinks visually with adjectives and then just learning how to communicate between the two and you do that yeah by networking and and learning how people talk to you and how you talk to them and being receptive when you're doing something wrong and when you're doing something right and and then having that positive feedback loop then okay talking to this person i'm able to learn how i speak they're speaking to me this is good uh, okay maybe you know, i said there all this it's all very helpful and it helps you become a very valuable team member when you're doing it right too mm -hmm. Beautiful. and then you fit naturally into uh into a studio and that's what studios i think are looking for as just as much as they're looking for a very very skilled competent uh person who is very good in their discipline they're looking for someone who um is just a, a nice person mm -hmm. That's that. Uh, if you're a trouble to work with, then no one will hire you. And if they did hire you, someone will find out that you're not a very nice yeah, person. And, then and maybe gone, it's time for some changes. Yeah, well, or maybe, yeah, not even gone to get out of here. You, someone will pay notice and then tell you, and then it's time for change. So, and if you don't change, then you're out of it. Yeah. Yeah, then, then we've got a problem. Yeah. Now, for level design, do you, how do you practice that? How does someone get, like, improve their level design? Do they just recreate levels or do they think about why the level is built that way? Like, how do you do it? Cool. Well, I, uh, I would then ask at what level? So, um, where would you start? Like, if, uh, for example, if you're brand new to the process or if you're already involved in the process. Uh, so, I'll turn that back to you. Like, where, where, from what point would you say? Let's go with, like, the fundamentals of level design. Cool. Like, the beginning. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, if I were to say, uh, we'd like to sort of put together an activity that could try to condense a lot of this sort of stuff, I would say uh, one activity that does this 
quite remarkably well, though it's two-dimensional uh, as opposed to 3D, it's accessible. Everyone could do this. Uh, are you aware you know, of Dungeons & Dragons and you've got like top-down mm. maps for Dungeons & Dragons? Yeah. Usually, yeah, little boards like that. A lot of those are hand-drawn, um, or at least they used to be. They'd just be put on grid paper. Here's where you move this many squares. Um, yeah, this kind of activity where you look down at that, that and especially in that game, look down at that grid paper and go, what, am, what do I want my players to do in this space? Is it a combat space? Uh, usually when you're doing this inside of D&D, it is combat. So let's just think, okay, it's a combat encounter. So what enemies are my players facing? And then you might, that's another question. What enemy types? So are, um, are they doing something which is like a ranged spell or are they doing a melee attack? That's just two examples. But essentially, what are you trying to, to tell your players? Are you trying to push them through your environment? Are you trying to pull them towards something? Is there an objective in that little slate that you've just drawn there? Somewhere they need to go. Um, where is that placed? How do you communicate that? Can they see it when they join, in, when they move into that space? It's all of these things. And as soon as you put that pen to paper, well, for me anyway, whenever I put pen to paper uh, and make those kind of encounters, I'm thinking about all these things. What do they see? What is the experience? How do they feel? What are they doing in the encounter? Should it be, um, uh, or not should it be, sorry, I guess. Um, what should be, I guess, the end result, really? What, what would be uh, what would be a failure? And um, with D&D particularly, it comes down to me and, and how I'm able to communicate that if uh, it depends on the success of that encounter. Not how they play it and their success, but do they understand what I was trying to communicate to them? All of these principles can be moved into other areas. You can move this into 3D. You can move this into all areas of development in whatever project, and especially here in level design. I remember seeing even, taking that example, seeing a job application years ago, which made D&D, &D, like being a DM of many years, a requirement. I've never seen what? this ever in my life, but made it a no requirement way. for a job. And this was a highly, highly respected That's studio. Crazy. Still is making AAA games and still are, um, for a very particular job in that design department. Wow! It was CD Projekt Red. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I didn't. You had know to have a, you had to have a D and D background in order to. I believe it was like a world builder or something like this. But it was it was like a requirement. We you need to know this sort of stuff. Uh, and yeah, that was years ago. They might have been doing for the maybe. Yeah, it might have been even the the Wild Hunt. That was even years because that was years ago, it's Wild true. Hunt, because it's RPG. It's how how is the story communicated to you, and then how are the encounters communicated to you? Because if we go into a D and D game or we go into any three D game, World of Warcraft, anything, and we think me and you, we've got the best armor in the game, we've got the best weapons in the game, nobody could touch us, and we walk into an encounter, it's just a little simple cave, and there's a little one enemy there, and he's like this big, and then he hits us once, and we die. None of that difficulty level was communicated to us. We need to know what we're getting in for. Okay, so how could I do that? Hmm, is it not only dialogue? Oh, watch out. There's like, it's a small little bunny rabbit. But if it touches you, you're dead. Now that sometimes is a bit too abrupt. It's a bit too much. And also someone could miss that. So how else do we do it? Is it we communicate that in the environment somehow? What shapes are we using to communicate danger? Be careful. And in D&D, &D, it's 
verbal because it's all imagination. But in games, we're doing this visually. Uh, we're doing this through audio. Uh, and all of this, when done right, can convey that right sense in this example of danger. And you might want to pace ourselves. When we walk into this area, we might go, right, well, let's spot it first because we've been told by that NPC it's quite dangerous here. And also all the shapes in this space might be quite sharp or there might be an area which is quite claustrophobic. So we're kind of funneled in. So we kind of know what we're getting in for. And then it might open up into a wide space. You know, when you walk into a big space, it goes into a big boss fight. Oh, okay, yeah. right. Okay, and you then you see all the ammo everywhere. <laughs> like, Those sorts of things are very markable, like examples, like very, very simple examples. But yeah, companies like CD Projekt Red, like Naughty Dog, they do this really subtly. Uh, and it's not just by dropping loads of ammo just before a boss fight. Um, it's usually like with a, like a little key cinematic where like you, you lose control for a moment and then something's explained to you or you're given control and then you know, something is removed where you otherwise had so, like a, a certain item. You know, if you remember running through, uh, I think it's Uncharted 4 and, and you have no weapons now and you're that sort of feeling of I've got no guns and, and it mm. gives you that, that feeling, oh no, I'm vulnerable. Yeah. Those things, those Which are very subtle. That was. Was that that was end? just as you are uh, you on the boat with Sam, and then you land mm -hmm. on the on the on the sands of the beaches, and you've got no guns now. Yeah. And so all those guns you collected that uh, was for naught. Yeah, it gives you a feeling, it gives you a sense, it gives it conveys a mood, um, and when it does that, your players are feeling something, and we want our players to experience something. Mm -hmm. Exactly, that's why we do this. Hmm. So for Rocksteady, you that was your first AAA job. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. And so then, and you were doing level design, right? I was working there, I was hired first as a junior environment artist, okay. then working as an environment artist. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's inside of Rocksteady, they say company that, that values, um, I would say, seniority, and it's very, and there's a very, very talented design team there. Um, and yeah, I just found that it would, it might be difficult to, or it might take a little bit of time to sidestep into that position that I felt like I maybe didn't want to, yeah, or I didn't have, you know? It might be a couple of years that I, and I was needed in my role as an artist. And um, I thought, you know what, I, I, I kind of want to take this elsewhere. So yeah, and so I moved into a, a level design position after building that portfolio outside of work. But I was working with designers very closely. Um, and, and in some studios, the work that I was doing there as an environment artist, some studios would consider level design work, uh, yeah, and because everywhere is different. Yeah. Uh, not all of it, but some of it. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So, and that's where I made the decision then. So uh, I saw I'm up for the challenge and I, I decided to go elsewhere. So, and I'm now at End Dreams as a level designer. So mm -hmm. still in London. Yeah, can't go wrong with London. For the, the job at Rock City, you played Arkham City and Arkham Knight, right? Oh, yeah. yeah so yeah. how was that like when you were working at Rocksteady and being part of the people who made those games? I have a very, very, like, like it's, I, I can picture it, like, now, like, uh, as, as, you know, as it was clear. So if, it's, if it happened yesterday, me playing the demo for Arkham Asylum, because I was very young and I couldn't afford mm -hmm. the actual game. Same. <laughs> so I, I downloaded the demo on, our, it was Xbox 360, and I just played it over and over 
and over and over. I did that as a kid. I just played the same thing over and over and over. I played Halo like that. I played Time Splitters like that. Just round and round and round because usually I didn't have internet and I didn't have multiplayer support. So I just played the same level over and over again and just try different approaches. And that game was so phenomenal um, where you actually felt like, and I mean, it's, yes, it's cliche with the be the Batman, but you, in no other game did you really feel like Batman. You did all the detective stuff, you did all the combat. And so, yeah, then having that experience, I can remember where I sat. I can remember like what shirt I was wearing and like what my haircut was like, mm -hmm. um, everything. I could picture that moment and then walking through the doors and seeing on their reception, Rocksteady. Um, yeah, it, it, it was, yeah, it's, it's one of the best experiences of my life. I remember the phone call when I got asked, okay, uh, when I asked, I was like, we would like to offer you the job. Uh, would you like to, I remember that phone call fondly. Um, yeah, it, it was a massive moment for me. I'm guessing you got a massive cake that day. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, I did it, I made it. <laughs> myself <laughs> but that's important too every time i've ever got offered a job or um you know so in, i mean offered a job not like i was just asked uh, i've worked i worked hard to get that job i go for interviews and i'm like anticipating please please can i get this job and then they ask that's what i mean by that but every time i get to that stage and then i accept um i, I make a good um I make a promise to myself every time I go out and I get myself something like a reward, something I do something or I get something that is, and usually it's an art book actually. Uh, so I remember at that time I got the, uh, I got a Titanfall statue actually, uh, cause Titanfall, Titanfall, no Titanfall. Titanfall oh, oh, I was like, okay. Yeah. It's like a little pop figure that's behind me. I got that. I remember, I remember oh, buying that. that there? That's, that's what I got for working at Rocksteady for two years. You get a little, get a little Batman statue. But, uh, but yeah, it was important for me that, yeah, when I got that little offer, I was like, you know what? You did it. Let's celebrate. And in my way, in that case, we're celebrating. And it always has been this little tradition. I just get something for myself. Little, little something. Uh, so, yeah, little art book. I remember I got my first job when I was at um, AVR. I got myself that book. Um, I got the Alien Isolation book um, for another job. Yeah, all these sorts of things. And that's why I've got so a big cool. old stack of books there. And, yeah. they, and they're, so they're sentimental to me. Um, yeah, big cake. <laughs> well, I like that system, though. Because I've never really heard that from a lot of people where they like the reward system. I've heard of discipline, blah, blah. But nobody's been so, like, on it with you, like you are, with the reward system. I'm going to try some of that. I'm trying to reward myself. I usually don't, like, I don't, I'm just like, all right, I should do it. I need to do it discipline, but... Yeah, it doesn't necessarily need to be things. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I would, you know, it could just be I would like to reward myself with something, any resource that you value. And in my case, I really I love artwork and I love these artworks because the, some of these books are packed and with like from processes from the beginning to the end. And it's just like wonderful. Um, some it could just be a video game. I'm going to buy. You know what? I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to buy this video game. I really wanted to play. But yeah, reward yourself. If you've done something that is an achievement and you you should feel good about it. And if the feeling's not enough, and it, usually the feeling is enough, but you should say, yes, this is a milestone for me. You know mm -hmm. what? I deserve something. I'm going to do this for me. Uh, yeah, as long as that doesn't hurt anyone. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Don't be doing any weird stuff out there. <laughs> exactly. You know, 
I'm going to watch that. I'm going to go to the cinema. Even if it's on my own, I don't care. I'm going to go yeah. to the cinema because I enjoyed this and I've earned this. You know exactly, what? This yeah. is good. Those I'm going to watch Mandalorian all night because of that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, so for I want to hear a story about going to End Dreams. What was that like, the whole situation? Um, I remember when I got the call. Mm-hmm. This is... Oh, I had to think to myself, a little part of my brain went, do we tell you, do, do we say this story? I was like, you know what? It's a sort of personal story. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty, so it's like a weird one. So mm-hmm. I got the call and it was, hey, we'd like to give you the job. Uh, no, it was an email. That was it. It was an email. And I was sitting quite comfortably inside of my position at Rocksteady. And I was offered a different job. And I remember walking into the other room where my partner was working, this is all remotely again. And I remember sitting on the kitchen counter and my partner looks at me and she says to me that you'd, it looked like you had heard some really bad news. And to me, it was, it was a devastating moment because essentially I had to make a choice. Mm-hmm. And it was the same, the choice that we sort of, I explained earlier from university moving forward, I had to decide which path I wanted to take. I was at a divergence. I had one, which I'm very comfortable in, and then another one, which is new. And it's something that I do also want. And so I remember feeling very, very sad, very torn, I would say. Um, yeah, I, I won't lie. I had a little bit of a moment where I actually had a little bit of a little, <laughs> a little shed a little tear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just like, I, because I love that team. I, I'm friends with everyone there i have made a family at that company um and to, and so i i can only give them good praise you know from ben keeling andrew stewart those guys they were great so um it was hard to make that decision it was a very very hard decision and so to say goodbye was was very emotional but then on the other side like everything when you when you let your past self die certainly like, in a certain yeah. way and you then um, become someone new. In this case, I take a new path, I have a new job, I meet a new team. Uh, I was very lucky here that I've uh, I've settled into a design position with a wonderful team here as well. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm I'm very lucky. It's not it's not everyone's um, it's not everyone's uh, luck that they go from one team to the next, right? So, yeah, but it was a hard decision to make. I, I cannot stress that enough. Um, uh, but you know what? I think it was the decision that I needed to, to, I needed to take while I could. And everyone there was very supportive of that. Um, yeah. Even That's really nice too. To see me go. Was like, yeah. They're like, we want the best for you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but yes, it was very tough. <laughs> Yeah, I bet. So for those like situations, what would you tell somebody? Because like, your main motivation was to change something new, like go off. New challenges. Yeah. yeah. So if somebody in that situation, would you advise them that like, hey, you never know, might not be good, might be bad, but the the regret you'll have if you don't go, knowing the experience is new change will be worse than where you are now, I guess. Mm. Uh, maybe when you put it like that, I might be inclined to just push back a little bit or even just say like there needs to be something else added there because um if something is safe like for example a good relationship or or, and you feel comfortable in that relationship 
I mean, just because you're comfortable and something pops up that's exciting and it's new, is it right to, you know, to give that away and then just pursue something new if, if you're happy in that situation? So there's, there's something in there. But so with the question, maybe there's, a, um, is it right for you? Um, is it right for your future self yeah. as well? And and maybe I, I can't, I don't know if I have the words, but it's, there's something there as well. There's yeah. something just a little bit different. Because it could have been an absolute mistake, and it's you know, true. if I left that company or done something else, and then in the future I regret this doing this, yeah. then that works the same way. Uh, but it felt like, and it still feels like, that this will be beneficial for me and my future self. Um, and yeah, so that was the reason I took it. Because yeah, sometimes you could make the wrong decision. Yeah, I think I it just really comes up to what feels right for you. It it shows. Okay, I think your example more or less just shows that even if you make the choice where you leave it could still work out for you and if somebody else can show the same example for staying and it works out so you just see that and say mm. i gotta do what feels right for me yeah it's a lot of people because all the people listening have their own story their own, their own circumstances and you don't know what's happening but you have to make the best decision for yourself yeah i yeah, will yeah. say i've noticed that the when you feel like you need to take a risk and then you do take that risk usually it works out for you and if it doesn't it's fine but most people are fighting with taking the risk itself. The fear of the risk failing gets people right there. And there's not even that question of this is right for my future. It's more is this am I kind of be comfortable feeling uncomfortable with with this new job, these new people? These mm. new, but like, I feel like most at the end of the day, you those moments will bring the best out of you. Mm. Will be you'll learn to face challenges, and even if it does go wrong, it's another stepping stone to something even better probably after that. So. Mm. Yeah. Then, the, then also, yeah, to counter that, and I, and I support what you say, certainly, but to counter that as well, to take unnecessary risk, um, can, will, well, maybe will lead to, well, it, it's, it's, of course, it's the unknown and tackling the unknown. Yeah. Um, but unnecessary risk will inevitably lead you down a bad path. Like something will trip you up. That yeah. is just your opening yourself up for failure now failures could be helpful but yeah unnecessarily yeah uh, so yeah, there's like really... an in-between right and, there's yeah, a, yeah. and so really thinking about it and that's that was part of that process and thinking about it myself and I, I thought about it for a long time um it's not that i i was applying for jobs for a long time but uh, i was thinking about whether or not i wanted to take a chance somewhere or or to, to move, any of that I was, for a long a while and I, and I think it helps when we're in those those places and in that mindset helps to be honest with yourself if you're for example if you're not happy in a job or if you feel like um something isn't satisfied it's just something like it's mental health anything but it's it's like we said earlier recognize that you're uh, you're down or not you're not yourself and then make adjustments to change it and what adjustments you could make i mean you might not know so communicate it so you're as long as you're honest with yourself and then you're honest with other people then you can diagnose the problem and so as soon as i noticed that i would like to change in my life all of those points that we've described in this conversation i then was honest that okay well something needs to change i'll talk to someone else about it i'll get their opinion i'll try to also formulate my own and if I, as I talk to more people, my thoughts gather and I speak about it. I can then speak freely and then I can think freely and then I come to my my resolution. And it feels like I, I, every time I do that, I've made the right choice each time. Mm -hmm. I think it also goes full circle 
to the whole discipline where sure there's on the serious but what more i mean manageable risks meaning like you disciplined when you're saving so you and you already have this job up like um this opportunity so now mm-hmm. you're like hey i have the money saved up and i already have this job here i'll take that one sure it's a risk but i'm good enough if this all fails i'm have like i'm set for a year like stuff like that's so where it's like you got to be disciplined in your risks too i feel like that's a smart way again work smarter we want to do all these cool things but be smart about every decision you make. But also plan. Like if you plan to like want to eventually go to new things, plan this out so that way you can take this risk. But it's manageable because you have money saved. All these things again, factors you have to include. But absolutely, yeah. So it's it is again up to the person. Have you taken the discipline to save up money? If you take, are you doing the right option? Is this the next job going to be the right place? Or are you just doing it to escape? A lot mm. of things you have to think about on your own. So yeah, I liked I like this little discussion because I think it'll help a lot of people because a lot of people. Well, think what we're thinking now. And I think we just verbally said everything that might go through the head. It's like, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah. So I've, I think I came into that situation many times over the course of, uh, well, my life and, and especially my adult life. Uh, and yeah, a lot of knockbacks too. And mm-hmm. so I remember being told by, a, um, I think this was like a college tutor at one point, uh, yeah, like told that you're like you'll never if you leave this course, for example, because I I did at one point I left after I got all my A levels, which is what you need to go to university, and I took that year and I, I went to another course. I left that course, and I was told by those tutors. I remember one of them. One of them said, um, "You'll never get into university, and you'll never you'll never get into that industry unless you finish this course." And I remember going, "No," and then uh, "No," like why? And it was because they saw that I wasn't doing like finger painting art, and instead I was doing concept art because they didn't believe that that was an actual job. Like they didn't understand; they thought this was cheating. They didn't understand all these professionals doing concept art were were getting paid to do this, and they are very skilled in what they do. And it's not just because like they take photographs of themselves naked in the bath, like that, you know that sort of stuff. She didn't value that work, so she tried mm-hmm. to she tried to put me down. Um, so yeah, and that felt bad at the time. But then when I did get, and it was very soon, like in, in that time scale, I remember getting uh, um, getting admitted into that university course. Uh, well, admitted, you know, I, my uh, application was approved. Like they said, yes, welcome board. I felt like good about it because I was I worked hard to get there, and I, I could I proved her wrong. And so yes, you get knockbacks like that. But um, yeah, at, at all those points, it's just healthy. Um, to know when you're down and do what you can to, uh, yeah, identify where there's a problem and, and do something about it bit by bit. And in that case, um, yeah, the, the problem that I had was, I think then it was the, um, I wasn't doing the right work on that course. And so I changed it. They didn't like the course tutors didn't like it, but you it was good for me. And it was, yeah. and if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be working in games right now. I'd be, I'd be teaching art history in a college or a school somewhere uh not to diss people to teach our history but it wasn't your thing it's not my thing mm-hmm. mm. and then what about your new studio new job feels just right just what about <laughs> <laughs> what about it so what about it <laughs> i think where before so here's the crux of it where the, the decision point was made. Why one, why when you sat in the kitchen, did you choose to go to End Dreams as a designer as opposed to stay at uh, Rocksteady as an environment artist? And it was because I, I realized that I now think differently. 
A artist thinks, uh, someone very smart told me this, if they listen, they'll know who they are. They're, um, if an artist thinks with adjectives, descriptive words, uses those words to communicate and convey their work. Uh, how does my environment look like? Um, what, so is, what color the grass be? Okay, what does that convey? What shape of the buildings? Do they look like this? All of those are all adjectives. They're descriptive words, descriptive language. I didn't think like that anymore after working really closely with designers. And instead, I fought with verbs. What am I doing in this space? What is the player supposed to do? What am I encouraging them? Are they walking, running, jumping, shooting, swimming, driving, so on? For absolutely any space you look at, uh, inside of games, you if you think one of those two things first, that usually, in this case, and it's, I could be wrong, but usually indicates which one you might be. Now, it's not that you don't think the other way. It's not that when I think about things, adjectives and so on, that I'm not thinking about verbs, uh, but what one takes priority. And so always when you're making games, function is followed by form, no matter what. No matter if you're an environmentalist or not, you have to follow the design. But uh, it was when I identified that, it was when I, um, yeah, when I recognized that maybe this design thing is... Uh, so, so coming back to your question, I'm now able to not only think about this in such a way where I'm uh, like thinking about what mechanics of this game are we using, what can my players do in this space, what do I want them to do? I also have a little bit more uh, control over some of that stuff too. So where before, um, in all number of roles, as an artist, you're given a little bit of direction, you're um, you can feedback to the designer, but uh, as really you're trying your best to contextualize the spaces that you're given. Um, now I feel like um, I'm able to create some of those encounters myself. Like essentially I make the game. I help make the game rather than make the game look pretty. Mm -hmm. uh, and some people, many people, are absolutely happy with making beautiful, beautiful pieces of work. And those people are amazing at what they do. Um, I enjoyed it. And I, I still enjoy a lot of that to this day. But I just enjoyed making that, uh, making something um, that is really essentially like playable. And I can, I, I see what my players are doing. I get immediate feedback when it's good or bad. That sorts of things, right? Like, um, and yeah, that's what I feel like in my day to day now at End Dreams is that I get to create those spaces. Um, yeah, and thinking about gameplay in that way too. Uh, maybe I didn't answer that as well uh, as I would like, but no, you answered it's, uh, it's exactly. a tough question. I mean, you can probably go more into it, if you, but no, you answered it perfectly, as in like the design part is why you wanted to do the move you were now doing mm. something that makes you more happy or you're fulfilled more yeah makes sense to me i think a little bit of that too comes from um when i, I actually started to then dm dm uh, dungeons and dragons games now playing games like so if for example if i just said if you if i replaced D D with any video game anything any board game anything mm. rather than playing the game enjoying it as a player i created the experience um when i started to do that and i had players who played in my game each week 
and they were enjoying the encounters that I was creating. They enjoyed the world that I was building and everything, all of that was of my design. Um, and, and it's it, it, not because it's mine, it's because it's, I could see immediately what worked and what didn't work. And that was really satisfying. Um, and you can try your best to infer like what you should be doing and what you can do. And then you see what choices they make. And that was just so satisfying to create that experience. Um, that also pushed me over the edge. Uh, yeah, I do design because essentially those are dungeons and dungeon masters. They just do it in a different way. Mm -hmm. That was beautiful. Now, when you play like Last of Us, do you ever think of like design stuff like this? Or you're just enjoying the experience? The first time, no, because it, it, it encapsulates, it mm -hmm. just wraps you up. A good game will do that even to people who work in games. Uh, it, you forget, or a good movie, if you if you thinking about movies and you're thinking about how they're written and how it's all shot, a good movie and a good game, all of these things, when done really well, it, it just immerses you. And so I remember the first time I played that, um, I was in a, uh, I did a 48 hour gaming marathon for, for charity. Uh, and so we stayed up all during that whole time, 48 hours, no sleep. And in that time I played the last of us, I remember crying a couple of times. It was oh. asleep, I swear. <laughs> um, but I didn't see any of the design stuff, but it wasn't in games either. So, but then playing it, I, I, I think I play it maybe even, I think the last time I even played it was about two months ago. I play it religiously and it's a problem i really enjoy that game and for anyone who's like it's a single player game it has multiplayer and i play that a lot too but i played the single player game and i've probably played that and completed it from beginning to end maybe about 15 to something times 15 uh, times uh, absolutely yes oh yes wow and on grounded which if people have played that game on grounded, oh, no. <laughs> yes <laughs> it's hard um but yeah you start to see that you 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 play it so much it becomes like practice and then you start to see where the cues are where the triggers would be sure but you also start to see what sort of messaging you're being given um and why those decisions are made and gaps as well like why where things are a problem where things for sure where things could be improved. Uh, and yeah, this, for many uh, people who make games, it's hard to enjoy games because sometimes you see even like the smallest thing, you know, there's always a mistake in these things. That's just, we're all human. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, you can, you can see a couple of them here and there. Uh, but overall, I think it's, a, yeah, it's a, certainly a masterpiece. And how did you feel about Last of Us Part 2? I... Uh, will <laughs> I will duck out of that question? <laughs> I look. I am one who feels that if if something is enjoyed on its own, it can be enjoyed on its own, and it ends definitively. It's okay to leave that alone. And it's very hard where we work and live inside of a essentially a society where we want more and we always want more. Give yeah. me more. I want more context. I want more story. I want more of what you just gave me. And if something ends so definitively as that game does. So I remember as soon as it was announced, it's not because the game came out and like I had a different opinion. It was as soon as it was announced and people who know me and know that I'm telling the truth. I said, I'm very dubious of this because the game in the first game ended so well. And yes, it ended on a cliffhanger. And yes, people want to know what that cliffhanger means. What, what is lovely and it's really, really hard to capture these days is ambiguity. 
and just leave it out there. Just just say. So, so did you want to see them? I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's an interesting game. <laughs> we'll, leave, we'll leave it at that. That's what I mean. So I, I, I liked the ending of The Last of Us, the first one. And so because of that and because there was so much ambiguity, there's so many, I think, people had different expectations and had different experiences with the second. And when you say different uh, expectations, you also mean yourself. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. No, but, and I think because if we to get into it as brief as I can, I liked that at the beginning at the very end of the game spoilers anyone who's not played the last of this what's wrong with you um i liked that there's that conflict does he does she know he's lying and what they all went through together to get to that point what he took from her by making that decision and what that means i don't really care what happens afterwards i just I liked the journey I went on in that experience. Yeah. And I had my kind of own uh, view of what maybe that was all about and what she thought and what he was trying to do. But it really it didn't matter to me what happened afterwards. And then when someone else tries to tell me a story that, where it continues and continues and continues until they die or until they move on and get married, I just, I, I, I'm not invested in that as much as I was the first. So that's all. I think that's as best as I can, mm-hmm. best as I can. Uh, oh, it's the same if I were to make Inception 2, for example, and take Christopher Nolan's... It's impossible, but yeah. Uh, absolutely. You can't take that character and spinning top and then go, by the way, yeah, it fell down and it, you know, it, and, and he was not dreaming. You know, oh, I kind of liked the idea that there was an ambiguity there. But some people really want an answer. Um, and yeah, I think... It's unfortunate sometimes that we can't just allow ambiguity and, uh, because it's a Maybe product. We want to make money. Are. Yeah. Yeah. Like if but you go into the real world, well, that's true. True that. But if you go into the real world and you start answering these questions, it gets boring. It gets too real. Like you start to answer every question. It's like, no, this was a story, a moment, an impactful. Boom. We're done. Tell the next story of something else. I mean, some sequels are better, like Dark Knight, for instance, Batman Begins was amazing. And Dark Knight was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. But like that's. It's it's harder when you have something like The Last of Us because even then I was like there really can't be a second one and I saw those first trailers I was like oh they're changing things up that's the only way I can see it being good and then it came out and I was like was it good was it not I don't know well I remember feeling very excited when I saw the trailer however there was still this creeping doubt and then I remembered you know what and I played the fact fe- I was like I played the first one again I was like you know I'm not sure and so that was and that's always been the case with me. Mm-hmm figures so you go to the dark knight is a perfect example because the dark knight was a gem and i remember when i went into the cinema with my dad to see that and walked out and i remember there was a newspaper on the car uh, on the passenger seat and we picked it up and i remember driving on the way home after watching the movie and reading a review in this newspaper and the headline of the article was something like because it's many years ago something like dear christopher like dear chris nolan please, please do not make a sequel. And it was imploring him, do not do it because this was so good. You cannot capture that magic again. You're, it's like the poison chalice. You cannot cannot encapsulate such a masterpiece in that movie in a sequel. Best you just don't try. And so I remember that watching the third one, The Dark Knight Rises, 
uh, it doesn't have the same magic to it, right? It's there's something in it. It's lightning in a bottle in that second movie. It's the Joker. It's the journey that they go through. It's the ending. It's how everything surprises you. The music, every, every, all of it. There's a lot of that in the third one, but it's just not there in the same way. And so people, I think most people look at the second one as like the Holy Grail. But the third one is like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's a brilliant movie, but it's not as good as the second one. And I think that's what I would say with The Last of Us too. It's a good game. No, I agree. But the yeah. first one is better. That's all. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens in time because I, I know people have yeah, their views and all this stuff. But I, I think it was uh, it's an interesting game. And I think it's applaud what they did because not most games go in that distance and go far yeah. changing things. But like, uh, it's I think really, it should have been its own other game. On a different own character. It's a really yeah. difficult conversation because if I made something, like I'm sure that a lot of the developers there, if you made something and the first one and you wanted to give people more of that magic, I mean, I mean, it's on you, it's your onus to give them that. Yeah. And, and you should feel that passion as I'm sure they all did. Like we all do when we make these games to give a players something that they really enjoy and that they value that experience. Now it's a harrowing experience to play that game. But regardless, the yeah. messages and the intent is still there. Um, but yeah, like that's that's I think that, that's where we are in like as a society and how we make these things. And it's also a product. And if something does really well uh, and it just works on its own, you really have to have a lot of power behind you to say, no, we're going to leave that there. And I think that's a lot of that is kept to films, yeah. um, really, because how games are such a product that you need if you make something so amazing and so the amount of awards that thing won you got to make something uh, as like to follow it up right so so yeah it's got it's got to be hard like, absolutely mm -hmm. all right so now i want to get into a challenge for the uh game did tv students if you can come up with like a short challenge probably based around level design or environmental art and uh give it to the listeners you can take as much time as you need a challenge yeah Hmm. Uh, and working with, with what parameters? Any? I can come up with them. Anything, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, right. I would say there's a really cool thing. Uh, I think me and me and my partner were talking about this as well. Actually, we were we were like, okay, there's a little graph you could come up with, or a series of graphs, and they had like um, uh, a series of different words. So one would be a place, and then this table we've had a number of places on there not like locations yeah. not like london or or paris or new york but then they would be very vague locations surface of mars or a mountaintop uh, and, and allows you room for imagination and then another table which would have um like a blueprint for a game for example could be like a first person game or uh, a cover shooter or a stealth like a classic stealth game or a anything a platformer you name it and then having a bunch of those tables i'm sure we could find like something like this on the internet but something like that that's quick and easy to do um and yeah you can really come up with something on the fly quite quick that i mean that's a that would be one example i'd give would, would that answer your question or would you be looking are you looking for something more we could give you more i know just a simple challenge for listeners to do after the podcast something oh, can, cool. yeah so I yeah, would say one, and yeah, if not, if you have a better one, then we can go with that one. Try write a D and D one shot. 
Okay. A one shot meaning okay. so a D and D game means a campaign like a, usually that lasts for a longer, long time. A one shot being that it's usually one session with one group. They all join, and then once the game is over, that's it. It's done. So think about what that one shot is like. How do you start? What's your entrance like? Um, and how do you introduce your players? Um, and so, and again, all this stuff transferable. Um, what is the journey like? Getting to the place you need them to get to. Uh, what is the encounter like? How many of them are there? Do you want role play or do you want just fighting? Um, what are your players looking for? What your and so what are your players doing? And what enemies are you using? What places did you choose when you build that encounter? And this is very easy for anyone to do because they don't need like, a high tech rig. They don't need a, you know software that a lot of us have uh, are very lucky to have. It's very expensive too. Um, they could do this just writing this on pen and paper, and I would just uh, I would encourage people to do that certainly. And then the best way of testing it, like we do in games, going to QA, sure. <laughs> is sharing it, sharing it with people, mm -hmm. or even just running the game yourself. Uh, and it's a big old challenge, but you would see immediately when things don't work and when things really work, and that is satisfying. Yeah, so I think it's a great challenge. I can't wait to see what the game did that TV students do. And so uh, this is this has been an amazing conversation. Learned a lot, went through a lot of good stuff, and I just want to say Thanks, thank man. you for coming on the show. It took us no. a while, but it's, it was worth it. I promise. You. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate what you said there. That's no, very nice. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for. It's good that we're able to do this sort of long form too. I've done this in the past. You usually find it it's uh, very short, and and uh, so yeah, I, I enjoy that we're uh, well. I appreciate that we've able to spend the time talking yeah, together I feel like the longer it is the more you can actually get out the real stuff like the there's always mm. the answers but there's like that stuff which like people can relate to that they're like oh i understand how we got to that position or why you thought that or that's when people get the most value out of it so yeah yeah awesome. i appreciate it and yeah um I, i'll just say as well if anyone else uh who was listening felt like i mean i'm sure you'd say the same if they only wanted to reach out to yourself and me and just ask a question, because uh, this comes back to that networking thing we, we were talking about earlier. It doesn't necessarily mean to be uh, events or people you know immediately, but if yeah, if you sent the people that uh, that you see online like a, a, a polite message asking like any questions that you had, uh, if anyone sent um, sent something like that to, I'm sure like Kevin, I'm sure you'd say the same. If they sent a message to you, I'm sure you'd get back to them. And I'm just want to put my hand up and say, yeah, if there's anything that I could do to answer any questions anyone has, please feel free uh, to find me somewhere online and just ping me a message. I'd be, I will find the time to, to get back to you as soon as I can. Uh, I want to be as helpful as I can. And that's, yeah, that's why I wanted to jump on the podcast, talk to your viewers and, and see where I could be of help and pay it forward. Mm -hmm. No, I agree the same way. Yeah, anybody reaches out, I'll help you out. I've even gotten some people who talked about stuff. We actually talked about this podcast, which is why I went deeper into it because it's like I know this helps a lot of people. Yeah. And then, so usually the way I end it off is I just hand the mic to you if you want to do any shout outs, last inspirational quote, which you kind of already done. But yeah, just send it off if you want them to go to Twitter or anywhere else important they want to check out. Cool. Um, yeah, as opposed to all the things that all the people we've mentioned thus far, right? Like all the people that I've worked for in the past, I, you've just been mentioned. Uh, yeah. And yeah, all those places have been fantastic. But uh, other than like sort of shout outs, really, um, I'd say, ooh, yeah, you can find me. So Sean Gorman uh, online on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Um, 
the will also find me on my website as well where I, I have a little blog there gormandev.com so yeah anywhere at all where you found me uh, if you wanted to ping me a message i would be happy to then talk to you and help where i can um other than that yeah uh for all of the, the projects that i've worked on in the past and where some of them still being worked on keep an eye out for those uh, and then yeah watch this space for more things to come in the future but that's really me that's all i can say for now well that's it thanks for listening you can find all courses at gamebiv.tv or in the show notes at a discounted price get started with your game development journey today